I'm going to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. So whether you have an old school Bible, uh, you use version, you can use version, connect to that, live event, and then all the scripture, all the notes come up, or you can use a Bible app, however you get God's word. Uh, we're looking today, and we're, we've been in the series called Thrive, and we're going we're gonna to continue in the series today, and we're, we're looking at how that we can sur- th- thrive and not just survive in the, in the, in the so- society, the culture in, in which we live. And so we live in a time when people are trying to find identity, their identity in all kinds of things. And so the Bible teaches that whenever we try to find identity in something other than God, that we will never thrive in life. fact is, that's when we're just going to survive. That's just when we're going to get through it. And we're not truly going to thrive. And so we live in a society, we live in a culture to where people are trying to find um, their identity, whether it's in sex, whether it's in success, whether it's in materialism, whether it's in sports, whether it's in hobbies, whether it's it's in education, uh, whether it's in prestige, or all of those other things. And so, so here's what we know about God's Word, that whenever we try to find our identity in anything other than God, that we will never thrive, that we will just survive. Now, the title of this message is, is Man Up. And so I'm going to talk to the men this morning about this issue of what is biblical manhood, what does biblical manhood look like, and what does it mean to be a Christian man um, in the society and the culture in, in, in which we live. Paul begins talking as we, we, we've been walking together through the book of Philippians, and Paul begins talking uh, about men and about what it means to man up and what it means to be a Christian man. And he looks at Timothy, and he talks about Timothy, and he says, Timothy is this man that just has proven character. And, uh, and he's different from all the rest. And in other words, Timothy is, is just different. And so he, he has this difference about him. So this, this morning, we're going to talk about this issue, about what it means to man up. And so l- l- let me just stop right here and just, just tell you, because I've had so many conversations as a result of this message over the course of this weekend, is this. I don't want this to cause you any guilt. This, this message should cause no one any guilt. Listen, the, the home that I was raised in, I, I never had this modeled for me. And I know many of you are in that same camp, and many of you are, come from that same background, that I, I never remember my dad ever praying for a meal. I never remember my dad praying for anything. I never remember my dad being able to take Scripture and, and apply it to our situation or to our family. I, I, I never remember any of that. The fact is, that wasn't the model that I had growing up. I had a very different model. And when I, when I came to Christ in my 20s, uh, that I was fortunate there were some men in our church that began to pour into me. And they began to help me to understand what it means to be a Christian man, what it means to live out these, these values. And, and, and so and I, I would tell you this, that, that you, you start wherever you are, and, and you can break the chain. I, I was with a man in, in, our, in our church that attends our church, and we were hanging out this last week, and, and he was telling me what he was doing with his family, and, and I know his background. I've known him for a number of years, and I just stopped and I said, you know, I, I just got to stop you, and I just got to tell you, I'm just so proud of you because that wasn't the model that you had. You, 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 you didn't have that type of dad, and I, I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you. Now, today I just want to start a journey with you about this issue of what it means to man up. And I, I have a video that, that I want to show you in a few minutes. And because of the length of the video, I just need to warn you, there's no jokes today, okay? 
So I feel like I always got to tell you that because when I don't tell you jokes, I get emails. People stop me and say, hey, what's wrong? Are you depressed? you upset? You know, what's wrong? There's like no jokes. And so there's like no planned jokes. There may be some jokes that just happen accidentally. You never know what's going to happen in the next 27 minutes and 40 seconds. So, so here we go. We're going to move quickly, okay? So here's what the Scripture says in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. Now I'm all off. Verse 19. Here's what Paul says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek, in other words, the other men, they all seek their, their other interests. Not those, though, of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. For I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death. But God had mercy on him, not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may be rejoicing at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor, honor such men as these. Honor these men that, that live out biblical manhood. Honor, honor these men that man up. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I want to talk to you this morning about biblical manhood. And I want you to see a video. I know the video's a little bit long, but it, it's a video worth seeing. I told you the story a little bit a number of months ago. Monty Williams. Monty Williams is the assistant coach uh, of the Thunder. Uh, he had a wife by the name of Ingrid, and they had some daughters. And, and his wife, Ingrid, was traveling in a car. Uh, she was involved in a head-on collision. A, a, a lady was driving another vehicle. She crossed the center line came into Ingrid's lane. Ingrid was holding her lane. They had a head-on collision, and as a result of the wreck, Ingrid lost her life, and, but the daughters, some of them were in, injured, spent a short time in the hospital, but they all survived. And so Monty Williams and his wife had been walking with Christ for a very long time, had a high-profile position. I first saw this on SportsCenter and, and watched the reaction of a Charles Barkley and LeBron, LeBron James and some of those others at this testimony, the eulogy that Monty Williams gave at his wife's uh, funeral. So, here's the video. Thankful for uh, all the, the, the people who showed up today. Uh, it's a pretty tough time, not just for me, but for all of you as well, and I'm, I'm mindful of that. Um, I'm thankful for my, my family. My children have been unbelievably um, resilient uh, this past week. Um, all of my relatives who've flown and drove and uh, many friends, uh, some people flew in for the day uh, just to spend a few hours with me and didn't even get that accomplished. Uh, but it's, it all uh, is well received by my family and especially me. The Bible says in Psalms, uh, 133 1 behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and I think that's what we've done uh, and that's what Ingrid would have wanted Psalm 73 1 says God is good and 1st John 
4.16 says God is love. During times like this, it's easy to forget that because what we've gone through is pretty tough and it's hard and we want an answer. And we don't always get that answer when we want it. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us. And that's what my wife and that's what I try to, um, however badly, <laughs> exhibit on a daily basis. But God does love us. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins. And I, for one, know that I'm not the man that you guys see every day. And only God could cover that. He loved me so much that he gave me a wife that loved every part of me. And she fit me perfectly. And I know different players that I've had over the years probably got tired of me talking about my wife. But I used to always think to myself, like, who else was I going to talk about? So that never bothered me. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I know this because I've seen this in my life. See, back in 1990, at the University of Notre Dame, I had a doctor look me in the face and say, you're going to die if you keep playing basketball. And I had testing done, test after test, shipping me all over the place to try to figure out a way for me to play. And it didn't work out. And I kept that from Ingrid. She knew I was having some tests done, but she didn't know the severity of the situation. So my career was over at the age of 18. And we had a press conference, and I left the press conference um, by myself, and I went to her dorm room, and I told her what happened. And the very next word out of her mouth, words out of her mouth after we um, probably cried a little bit, she said, honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord, and that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now. I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, 
we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate. Because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. It is hard sometimes in the time that we live to forget what's important. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I, I desire a life like that, right? I desire to have that strength and that character even in the midst of loss and even in the midst of hurt and even in the midst of just great pain to just have this foundation to where you can, you can walk through it without, real, without forgetting what is important in life. This morning, I want to just give you three things, men. I want to give you three things that if you're going to man up, if you're going to live a life of biblical manhood and learn what that means and learn to live it out, there's three things that Paul identifies in this passage out of the life of, of Timothy and Aphroditus. And so the first thing is this, that if you're going to man up, you have to be a man of compassion. In other words, if you're gonna if you're gonna man up, if you're gonna be that man, if you're gonna be that Christian man, then you're gonna live a life of compassion. And listen, all of these principles they go across our grain, they go across the flesh, and they just cut right across of how sometimes we were wired, because we're wired for sometimes for competitive competitiveness and some other things. In other words, when you're a man of compassion, you're able to put to, to put people over profit. In other words, you value relationships. Sometimes with the competitiveness that we have, we, it's easy for us to put success or to put profits over people. But a man of compassion understands that sometimes the most valuable thing that we have are the relationships that we have in our life. Paul learned that over a lifetime of life. You can look at his life. He was type A. He was driven. He, not always, he did not always put people over profits early in his ministry. But you realize when you look at his life and you look at the later years, 
years of his life, he grew and he matured in that area. I mean, it was Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians 13, and he used those words, and he says that if I have, if I have not love, then I have nothing. And then he talked about, but these, th- these three things abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what he says is this issue of love. Listen, we can be a success in every area of our life. But what Paul would say, but if we do not have love and if we do not have compassion, then, then we're a failure. In other words, God is looking for men of compassion. Compassion is that ability to protect the, the needs and the rights of people. And too often we're only in it for ourselves or too often we're just competitive or too often we only do things that bring reward for us, that brings benefit for us. Because of this competitive nature that sometimes that we have, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he says these words, he says, For I have no one like him. In other words, when you man up, when you're a man of character, when you're a man of, of compassion, you're going to stand out. You don't think Monty Williams stood out on ESPN when they cut away to that? They came back, and I'm telling you, Charles Barkley and some of those were like speechless. They're like, we don't even know how to respond to that. But we want that. I mean, we cannot even imagine that. And so Paul says this in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, For I have no one like like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. And anyway, he's saying that that Timothy is is like unique. And Timothy not only cares about his interest, but he cares about the interest of of other people. Timothy is, 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 is compassionate. Philip's translation would render it this way, that there are some that are wrapped up in their own affairs. I mean, is, is it possible, men, is it possible to be so wrapped up in our own affairs, that, that, that whether it's business or whether it's hobbies or whether it's sports, that, that you forget about your family? The man that is all wrapped up in himself is not a daddy, he's a mummy. I told you there's going to be little humor. You're like, yeah, that was little. You'll remember it, right? Here, we'll, we'll try this one real quickly, then we'll move on. I told you no jokes, and now then I got, I'll ask for your forgiveness, but here's another one. I heard about a, a salesperson, heard about a man, and, and he, he won a sales contest, and he won two round-trip tickets to Hawaii, and he was so selfish, he just went twice. So... Maybe you'll remember that one. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Luke chapter 10. Okay, so Luke chapter 2 is a story about the Good Samaritan, right? And so the Good Samaritan's a businessman. He's on a business trip from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he encounters this man that had been beaten and mugged and robbed, and he's on the side of the road. And, like, this guy is really in trouble. And he takes this man, and he cleans him up, and he gets him clothes. He takes him into the next town, and he puts him up at the Holiday Inn Express and gives him his gold card and says, whatever this man needs, just charge it to my account. I mean, he interrupted his business for a total stranger. Let me ask you, would you do that for a stranger? I mean, these are tough questions, right? I mean, would, would you do that? Would you do that for a stranger? This, this last week, Karen and I have been uh, shoveling river rock. Uh, we had like six tons, I think it was. It felt like a lot more, but uh, delivered to the house. And so we've been, we've been scattering rock at, at, at our house. And so we took a break. We had to run to get to Lowe's, uh, run to get uh, run. Uh, some errands, went to Lowe's and some other things, and we went past an intersection, and there's a, there's a homeless guy and a dog, and he has a sign, and on the sign it says, he says, willing to work. 
So Karen looked at me and said, um, why don't we put him and his dog in the car and take him home? Maybe he'd be willing to remove some rock and then we could like bless him. I mean, these are tough questions, right? Now, I would love to tell you a preacher story and say, you know what? We put the man, the dog, we took him home, we bathed his dog, we gave him some new clothes, we fed him, you know, uh, we blessed him, he moved some rock, and we're baptizing that guy in the next service. That'd be a preacher story, but that's not what happened. I looked at Karen and said, no. Now, <laughs> now Karen and I are totally different. Because I, I tell Karen all the time, because she, she has this dream of bringing a homeless person home and sit them down at our table and feed them and all that. And that's not my dream. And so, uh, so we, we just carried on. And so, l- listen, let me tell you something. These are, these are tough questions, right? Did you do that for a stranger? A lot of times what we'll do is, is say, you know what? We can't save anyone, so we won't save those that we can. We can't save everyone. But let me ask you. Who are you ministering to? Who, who are you helping? Are you helping anyone in your home? Are you helping anyone in your business? Or is it, you know what, it's just profits over people. It's just all about the, the bottom line. How about, how about in your church? Are you serving anywhere? Are you ministering anywhere? Are you manning up when there's a need, whether it's in your family whether it's in your home, whether it's with your children, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your place of employment, or whether it's in, in the workplace. I mean, is there, is there any place, is there any place to where you place people over profit, to where you understand that it's about giving, to where you understand it's about serving? And so Paul would say the first thing is this, if you're going to man up, you've got, you got to be a man of compassion. In other words, you understand relationships, and you understand relationships are valuable. The second thing is this. If you man up, you're a man of character. If you man up, you're a man of character. In other words, this is a man that would put character over conforming, would put character over conforming to a society, put character over conforming to a culture. In in other words, this is a man that's willing to stand out. This is a man that's willing to stand out with his work buddies. This is a man that's willing to stand up in his stand out in his profession. This is a man that is willing to stand out in a community because he has these values that are different than the world. Paul says in Philippians 2:22, he says, "But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel." That word proven in this verse is just so interesting to me that he uses it's a, it's it's one of the deepest words in the Greek for integrity. It means this. He has proven character. He was tested and, 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 and he proved faithful. It means proven character. See, this issue of integrity, integrity means this. It means, it means one's life is integrated into one. In other words, we as men, sometimes it's so easy for us to compartmentalize, right? And so we compartmentalize out our life. And so we've got our, we've got our work life over here, and we've got, we got our buddies over here, and we've got our sports friends over here, and we've we got our family over here, and then we've got our church over here. And we just hope that the, the, the worlds don't meet. And we can be different, whether it's in whatever world that we're operating in. But integrity would be this. Integrity would be we're the same in any world. There's consistency. That, that we're all one, we're the same person. Fact is, Timothy's name means he honors God. I mean, in other words, Timothy didn't cave under pressure. 
Listen, let me tell you about Monty Williams. He didn't go through a crisis and all of a sudden get spiritual. You don't get that depth without walking with God for a number of years and pouring through Scripture and understanding that it is best to man up and it is best to trust Him. I mean, I mean here a while back, I, I made fun of some of you that listen to country and western music, right? And I learned with a lot of you, you only believe there's two types of music, country and western. And <laughs> but there, there's, a song out, there's a song out that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And man, what are you willing to, what are you willing to stand for? Because I'm telling you what, in, in this culture, in this time, we need men in the local church. And we need men in the community that are willing to, willing to stand and they're committed. They're committed to their values. They're committed to their beliefs. And they're committed to their convictions. I mean, Proverbs says, Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his, his ways crooked will be found out. In other words, this, your sins will find you out. In other words, this scripture says that what is done in darkness will be exposed in the light. See, a man of a man of a man of character, a man of integrity, he doesn't care who reads his text messages, his Twitter feed, his Facebook, his emails, listens to his voicemails, listens to his conversations. They don't worry. There's security in that. Because they're men of integrity and their life has been integrated into one. And over years, I've just learned this. A great personality will make a great first impression. But success over the long haul is built on character, not image. It's built on character, not personality. See, the, the man of integrity will not worry that he may be found out. Let me just ask you about this issue of integrity. Is your, is your private life consistent with your public life? In the society and the time in which we live, it is possible. You can be a giant in public and a jerk in, in private. You can be a giant in public and you can be a jerk in your home. See, integrity says this. Integrity says, I'm consistent regardless of the situation, regardless of the setting. Proverbs 27 says this, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed. In other words, there's a blessing on a family. There's a blessing on children. Blessed are his children after him. Because we know this, inconsistent men will produce inconsistent children. Because they'll always wonder, where is dad at on this? Is dad angry? Is dad happy? Is dad joyful? How's dad going to respond to this? I mean, a man of character will understand, understand this issue of cooperation before competition. In other words, Paul understood the value of people, that he understood that, that you know what, sometimes we've got to dial the competitiveness back. And we've got to understand that we can do more together than I can do alone. Uh, Philippians 2.25 says... I've thought it necessary to send to you 
Aphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He describes three terms in cooperation. He said three different things about the church. He said the church is a family 133 times in the New Testament. The scripture says that the, the, the church is a, is a family, and he uses the word brother. We talk a lot about being the church. Listen, let me tell you something. You cannot be the church if you're not a part of the church. You cannot be the church if you're a spectator. You cannot be the church unless you are a part of the church. And then he says the church is a fellowship. In other words, we're in relationship together and we have this goal together and we serve together and we strive side by side together. But he also says that the church is, the church is a fight. I mean, it's a battle because when you accept Christ, you now become the, the enemy of the evil one. And that's why we have to stand firm and that's why we have to stand strong. Listen, that's why we need each other, men. There's a statistic that is out that says only 10% of men have real friends that they can actually talk to and confide in because men are so concerned about being vulnerable, being hurt, or all those other things. And we have this tough exterior. We don't want anyone to know that we're fearful. We don't want anyone to know that we're kind of concerned about the future. We feel like we have to live our life like that, and that is a lonely place to live. And... I mean, you know this, right? You don't have to be around men long and listen to their conversation and know it kind of stays on the superficial level. I mean, years back, I went to children's camp. Uh, Karen was the camp nurse. I've told you this story before. Karen was, the, Karen was the camp nurse, and so I went up there to hang out with her and write some sermons on the backside of the camp in a cabin. But I had, I had meals with the fifth grade, our fifth grade boys, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. On, on the third day, so, you know, several meals with these kids, I'm sitting at the table, and I have a, like a revelation from God. And I'm sitting with these fifth grade boys, and it's like a revelation from God. And I'm thinking, you know what? Us men don't mature much past the fifth grade. <laughs> We're still telling the same jokes. We're still laughing at the same stuff. We're still talking about the same subjects. We don't mature much over that. But listen, I'm telling you, we need each other. That's why we have a D3 class coming up, Manhood Restored. I, I just want to start a journey together. And I want to start a journey together as we figured out what biblical manhood looks like. The third and the last thing, if I man up, if I man up, I'm a man of commitment. If I man up, you know what? Whatever my commitments are, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live them out. In other words, a man of a commitment is a man who would put Christ before comfort. Ephroditus was, was this guy. He says, verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you, Aphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Listen, Paul has been in prison and, and, and they're in Rome. I mean, Paul's in Rome in prison and they're back in Philippi. The church takes up an offering and they get Epaphroditus, the, the offering, and he volunteers to take it to Rome. Rome is 800 miles away. That's six weeks of travel. And he took the offering, and he got sick. He almost died. It took him six weeks, but he was persistent, and he had made a commitment. And guess what? He's, he's going to live out the commitments that he made. Listen, I'm telling you, ministry can be difficult. Serving others can be difficult. But men of character do not give up. They do not quit. I mean, James says in 217, 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is like dead. It is like worthless. In other words, James is saying this, men, put your money where your mouth is. I mean, why is it? Why is it that men can be so aggressive in sports and in business 
and in community, but they're so passive in the church and they're so passive in home that they don't lead. That they don't give biblical counsel. Listen, it, it, it takes courage. It takes courage in the culture that we live to put service over security because you know what we value in this culture? You know what we value in this time? Security. I just want to work to get to that place of financial security, of financial independence. And it takes courage to realize, you know what? God's calling me to service over security. In other words, security in the Christian life, when you man up, security becomes the goal, or, or, or service becomes the goal rather than security. Watch this. It's so interesting. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking, that's an important word in the Greek, the word risking, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's the crazy thing. The word risking means hazarding one's life. Paul took this in their culture. When you study uh, conversational Greek of their day, Paul takes this out of their culture. This word risking was a, was a gambling term. It was, it was a roll of the dice. And you know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying this man was willing to risk everything for the kingdom of God. To value service over security. And Paul says because of that, this was like a man of this is like a man of, of character and a man of compassion and a man of commitment. Paul says this in Romans 12:1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, te by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm telling you, do not accept the world's standards for manhood. You try to find your identity in anything else other than God, you will never thrive. That's why Paul says, just present your bodies as living sacrifice. That means be willing to volunteer for service. What, what have you volunteered for lately? Whether it's in your home, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your community. He said, sacrifice. And what are you, what are you sacrificing right now for Christ? I mean, Jesus is the one that said in Mark 8, 35, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it in other words he says if you want to truly live if you want to truly thrive then learn to live for the audience of one and give up your life give up your reputation god is looking for men that are willing to man up and live out biblical manhood and guess what i believe our culture i believe our church and i believe our families are looking for the same thing one of the greatest challenges that I think we'll ever have as men is it will face in our life is to live, live life for Jesus Christ in front of your family, in front of your wife, in front of your friends, in front of your co-workers, in front of this culture. And the question is, will you man up? And in that, he promises us we will thrive. You bow your heads with me and close your eyes. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, what is, what is God saying to you? 
What is God saying to you as a result of this, of this message, a result of his word? God's asking every one of us to just take a next step, and maybe your next step is, is a first step. And maybe it's just coming to the place to where you just accept him and ask him to come into your life and just begin to follow him. Maybe you're a believer. What is God asking you to do? How is God asking you to respond? Listen, I told you when we started this message, when I started this message, that this message should not bring you any guilt. But there is something you have to do with this message. In whatever stage of life that you're in, why don't you just start now? And why don't you just commit that I'm going to learn what it means just to man up. I'm going to learn what it means to be a man of compassion, a man of character, and a man of commitment. That's why we have this D3 class coming up. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I, I just need someone to pray for me. Man, I, I, I just got this prayer request. I got this burden. I just need someone just to encourage me and pray for me. Well, guess what? We won't pray for you. See, I believe you already know who you are. I believe God's already placed that burden there. Whether it has something to do with the sermon or it has nothing to do with the sermon, that's okay. If you have a prayer request, if you have a need, we just want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, would you just respond to him by making your way down to the front? We'll have prayer partners down here. You don't have to walk alone. People will be walking with you. This is a safe place. And we'd love to have an opportunity to pray for you and to encourage you. So if you need prayer in any area of your life after I pray, we stand. As, as you stand, would you come? Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you. Father, we just thank you for just the power of your name and the power of your word. And Father, would you draw this church very closely to you and would we realize what's at stake? And Father, for those that have a prayer request, have a need, would they just feel totally comfortable in this room and this experience just to respond to you and that as they stand up, would they step out and begin making their way down? And may they find encouragement, comfort, and support. May they know that May they know that you have not only heard their requests, but, Father, that you promise that you'll act on those requests. So, Father, we just look forward to see what you're going to do. Father, we thank you for loving us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.